Every meeting will have a mandatory Zoom or Teams or whatever have you link. And uh, people who work remotely will never feel like second class citizens ever again. There was always sort of this people who worked remotely who felt like, oh, I'm not really plugged in. Did they hear what I said? I'm on the phone. They can't see me. That's changed. Hello and welcome back to Explain It, brought to you by Softcat, the show for IT professionals by IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT without compromising on the detail. I'm your host, Zach Abbott, and in today's very special episode, we're joined by one of the biggest names in enterprise IT to take a look at the industry as a whole. Over the next 30-ish minutes, we'll be taking a broad look at some of the key challenges and trends in the industry today. We'll cover areas such as the long-lasting impacts of the pandemic on the industry and wider society, how technology will evolve over the next five years, and the many ways organizations can be a driving force for positive change. So, welcome to the show, VMware's Chief Operating Officer, Sanjay Poonin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Very uh, great pleasure to be with all of you today, and thank you for having us from VMware. Pleasure having you here. Also joining us today is Dean Gardner, Softcat's Field Chief Technology Officer. Welcome back to the show, Dean. Hey, Zach. How are we doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Not too bad. As per usual, guys, before we kick things off, we do like to ask a question to get to know you guys a little better. So off topic, but could you tell us an interesting fact about yourselves that we didn't know? Dean. Um, So I used to play soccer um, and I ended up playing um, for Christchurch United for a year. And I think Sanjay would appreciate this. I got to um, one evening, got invited to a party and I was lucky enough to meet the West Indian cricket team. So got to meet Brian Lara and um, also the New Zealand team as well with people like Chris Harris. So that was that was 21 years ago. So um, I was um, acting like a sportsman amongst greats. I was playing basically, but I was lucky to meet those uh, characters. And Sanjay? Uh, you know, it's actually interesting. I love cricket. Uh, I love soccer. And uh, those names are all ones that have made me smile. Probably little known fact on my side, I love sports and, you know, grew up playing it, tried to still do a lot of it now, much more so to keep up with my kids and teach them some of the same things. Uh, I love music. Uh, I play the piano. Some of my kind of, you know, forays of having fun with music at the workplace are evident on YouTube. So those are a few of the things that I try to, to try and mix uh, art with, with work. Wow. Amazing. As the world appears to be at different stages with the battle against COVID, do you believe we are actively seeing a catalyst for a social and economic change in society? And do you have any predictions on how this will impact our future? Starting with Sanjay. Some have talked about, you know, when we went into the crisis, everything dipped, the GDP dipped. And everything went into kind of a, uh, you know, kind of like a similar moment of financial crisis of 2008. It was expected because everything slowed down. And typically when you go through something so sudden, it's like, you know, the best analogy is you're driving in a fast motorway or autobahn and you suddenly see these red lights in front of you and you screech down to a halt. It's very hard to get something moving fast. You know, the economies are kind of like those traffic highways. You can't get people going back to uh, 60 or 100 miles per hour quickly, immediately. It takes some time. So the recovery, um, you know, some people will call it a V or a U. But I think the interesting aspect of recovery that I think we should also think about, and some people have called it a K. And what's what's a K? Because there's a top part of the K, which is favoring some parts of the economy, and the bottom part of the K, 
saying that some parts of the economy are still not recovering well enough or fast enough, or some parts of society are doing well, some parts of society aren't well. Hence the two parts of that K. The, the parts of the cloud and the video collaboration thing are having a heyday. I mean, you know, people are doing a lot more video minutes on Zoom. Um, people are moving faster than the cloud. E-commerce is growing. So if you're in that part of the economy, you're experiencing a torrent of demand and it's exciting jobs and new innovations being created. Um, if you are in parts of the economy that's severely affected, whether it's hospitality, whether it's airline, whether it's uh, even aspects of healthcare, where, you know, people think, oh, there should be a lot of people in hospitals. But most of the hospitals are just taking care of people who are in critical need. The elective uh, surgeries and things that need to be done, or even people being treated for heart disease and cholesterol or, or strokes, they're, they're, some of them are just dying because they can't get to the hospital because it's not place for them because they're just, uh, you know, the whole world has been so taken up. And that represents some of the bottom part of the K. And the part that for me is most distressing in the bottom part of that K is not just the economic parts, but the social impacts. Um, here in the United States, we've been really wrestling with um, social injustice, most recently even hate against Asian Americans uh, because of unnecessary rhetoric that, you know, whatever happens just gets worse and then ultimately leads to violence that's senseless. But, you know, for whatever reason, people are feeling frustrated and they let out their emotions, frustrations and, and you know, human society has become a lot more polarized. And that's gotten worse during the pandemic. And to me, that really is more concerning. Um, you know, we are all technologists here, so we can't solve societal problems. But our hope is that society, technology makes us better and more productive people rather than makes us worse as a society. And I think we have to, as coming out of this, um, find ways by which we're building not just a better platform of technologies for the world, but a better society in general. And uh, that's something we've got to spend a lot of time thinking about, working through in our communities. And I remain hopeful that you know we'll hopefully all together be able to make the world a better place. And my only add to that is, you know, the, the challenges we're seeing every day with being able to just try and do the right thing as a global collective. And I don't think there's an easy answer to that. You know, everybody's got different motivations. And and unfortunately, I think we have seen almost nationalistic views sometimes taking precedent. And ultimately, this is a global problem and it's, you know, global solutions required, which isn't easy when you've got so many different cultures and different opinions. Um, but yeah, somehow, I think we need to certainly improve how that works to solve what this is um, for all of us, really. And, uh, and I think you're right there, Sanjay. I think there's going to be great innovation and technology solutions coming out over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Um, but for some, some of those things you mentioned, there's society problems and, um, and those things need a different uh, thought process and a different solution to just technology. And is there technology available that can help those society problems already? Or is that something that needs to be developed? Or? I don't know if there's anything, there's no magic bullet. It's a people to people. It goes back to the fact that we can work from home like this. For me, we can have video conferencing and that's kind of filled a gap, but it doesn't solve, is it an example of us being able to interact as people? We need to be able to you know, meet with each other and talk to each other. And I think that there's a lot more focus on the human element of what we're facing as opposed to you know the technology solutions we're putting in place to get us through this crisis and i think that's a I'd say that it's no, it's no magic bullet from a technology standpoint to fix some of those problems in my opinion yeah mention working from home there um which is something everyone has been doing over the past year globally 
everyone's having to adapt to changing a work-life balance, how they live, educate, shop and worship. Uh, they're all things that are significantly impacted. But how have you and how do you plan to continue to ensure you're able to shift your company culture to support these forced changes to our everyday lives or to your employees' everyday lives? Yeah, I think it's a, you know, listen, a very appropriate question was almost exactly year to a date that we sent our employees home shelter in place and the various, I mean, parts of, uh, of Asia were already starting to wrestle with the virus in January, February, but by March, uh, middle of March, we had sent every employee back shelter in place in some countries, especially in Europe, were beginning to lock down. A few months later, India went into lockdown. We didn't literally go into lockdown in the United States, but we were shelter in place in practically every, and every uh, employee began to, you know, kind of make their home office or work office, get their camera, get their, all the things that we'd had to do to get this podcast working, make sure your camera, make sure your microphone all work really well. And then became this, this incredible life of having to juggle multiple things. You had your kids in the other room trying to, to study and, and go to school. And for many young kids, it was crazy. And for either, you know, whether you were a dual parent and sometimes for single parents, it was really hard. Imagine having to watch the kids' education on Zoom and, uh, and they're not, I mean, for a kindergarten, it was really hard. So I think the, the empathy that we all had to develop for each other, and especially for, for parents who have young kids, was huge uh, because we understood how difficult, if you had kids yourself, my kids are a little older than kindergarten, but I have a number of friends who are in that stage who just, and then of course you have, you know, uh, our, our homes were any uh, sort of combination of we work and kinder care put together because kids are popping in, pets are pop, popping into video, and we became a lot more adjusting of this lifestyle. I think as we come out of this, you know, post the vaccines, and I do think there's hope, I don't think this crisis is going to last as long as World War II, which was six years. This is, you know, hopefully by the end of this year, going into next year, we're back to some level of normalcy. Some things are immutable and won't change. Uh, I think we're in this hybrid world for uh, forever. Every meeting will have a mandatory Zoom or Teams or whatever have you link. And uh, people who work remotely will never feel like second-class citizens ever again, I hope. Because in the past, we there was always sort of this people who worked remotely who felt like, oh, I'm not really plugged in. Did they hear what I said? I'm on the phone. They can't see me. That's, that's changed. And when people feel sick, they should feel completely free to work from home, recover reasonably, but not, I mean, if they're able to participate in meetings, not feel like they miss a beat because... And the same thing, by the way, applies to school. Every school should have a video camera and a microphone and allow children who are sick to be able to go home, but not miss a beat and then come back even if it's a day or two later. Those are immutable. I think business travel will forever change. I mean, I would, again, I love coming to London or Paris or to Beijing or Tokyo or to India, but I think about a lot of the trips that I'd go that, that were unproductive because, you know, I'd come there, it'd take 12 hours from San Francisco to get there. In between the meetings in London and Paris, it takes an hour to commute from one place to the city to the other because of traffic. And I'm like tired like 80% of the time, uh, jet lagged and so on and so forth. Now, I still want to be able to go uh, travel, but my travel was about 50%. I probably can get just as effective post-pandemic traveling 20% and have the, many of those meetings that I didn't need to be in person happen over video and just be as, as successful in our business. And that's actually good for life expectancy. It's good for our family life. And then I think the third thing I would say is, listen, our family life has all changed. I mean, I hope that uh, we've gotten closer to our families, to our loved ones. Uh, there are points in time where they're all, we're all driving each other crazy. But that intense form of bonding hopefully brings us closer to our children, to our parents, uh, in empathy and in lifelong relationships that I think, you know, for me personally, I could say I developed habits during this time 
of activities with my children. I'm forever grateful because I wouldn't have done this had the pandemic not uh, forced me to spend more time with them. Yeah, I can only echo. I mean, the amount of time I spent with my kids over the last 12 months is is probably more than I did the previous three years, um, just for being around and, and being part of their life. <clears throat> the other thing I'll say is that the way our kids are interacting now is incredible. You know, and I think globally, having things like the internet and, and having the ability to communicate in new ways, um, my, my kids are quite young, but even, even they have been given an opportunity um, that probably a few years ago they couldn't have um, been able to uh, achieve in that they're still being able to be educated, they're still being able to talk to their friends, stuff you know they would have learned and interacted with on the playground, that's not possible. So the, the, having that collaborative way and, and, and educating them in, in those ways of communication has been a, a lifesaver, I guess, for us as, as parents. And, and I think I speak for probably most parents out there globally. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there who don't potentially have internet access or don't have that access to devices as well. And I think it's just opened up, certainly in the UK and probably the same in the US, the divide, if you will, the social divide of being able to ensure that, you know, all kids and all walks of life have devices, they have access to the internet and they, they're able to work in these new ways and collaborate in these new ways. Um, but I just think that certainly we as a business, we, we had to adjust very quickly to a whole different way of working and um, also provide new ways of supporting our employees um, overall, and you know, we've introduced things like volunteering in our, in our ways of working and being able to support our employees that they're not busy. Because uh, I think there is a case where, because you are working from home and it's difficult to get that split between work and and your home life, that you end up working earlier and working later with no gaps in the diary. And I think that's in our industry, you know. But there are still industries out there as well that they're not working from home; they're still having to go out and do services. That construction, as an example, and the healthcare workers, and there's a whole range of new challenges for those industries. So it's kind of this combination of, of people still having to go and do those things. But I think in our industry, then it's proved that it's not necessary to be in the office five days a week, longer hours and the commutes. So I think there's a balance to be had like most things um, and encouraging that hybrid working is going to be critical for most organisations in our industry. So we've talked a bit there about the effects on on the employees in an organisation and things like that. Maybe let's have a look more at the, the customer side of things here. What are the best practices you can employ to help maintain relationships with your customers and ensure that customer experience and customer satisfaction remains at the heart of how you operate? I've actually talked about this uh, publicly. You can all go to a YouTube video and a LinkedIn post on 10 ways to practically cultivate a spirit of customer centricity. because I get asked a lot about this. And But I'll pick a few things there that I would highlight here that I've tried but, uh, out of the 10. One of my mentors taught me many years ago, when he went, before we went into a customer meeting, he says, listen, I want us all to have rabbit ears, not alligator mouths, okay? And it's a very simple principle, which is we're all made with two ears and one mouth. I think often we think we know what the customer wants when we should be listening and asking very insightful questions. And I learned tremendously when I'm sitting inside meetings and somebody in the room asks an incredibly insightful question. I was like, why didn't I think of that question? That's a great question. I want to hear what the customer says to answer that question. That person didn't need to speak for more than 10 seconds, but the next five or 10 minutes that came out was insight because the right question was asked. And that's a really two years, one mouth kind of attitude, right? Most often when I talk to account facing people, they're full of ideas and, and there's a time for that, clearly. But if you haven't understood, uh, Stephen Covey said, seek to, be underst uh, to understand before you are understood. 
And that spirit, if you really have that empathy uh, of knowing and listening to customers, at the time when you do get a chance to communicate and you have to use your mouth, you're going to be a lot more relevant to them because you've incorporated what's top priority to them. Uh, I'll share that. And then I'll share a second, and there's eight others that you can go and watch that. I'd say, listen, the best time to also engage with a customer is when they're unhappy with you. <laughs> I have turned many rants into raves because all it took at the time when the customer is most upset and they're in that trough of disillusionment with you is engage with them. What they want to know is there's somebody at the other end, if it's like a, going to a doctor when you are desperately sick, think how incredibly thankful you're going to be to that doctor when they save your life. But most engineers and sometimes customer fees like, oh my gosh, the escalating customer, it's their fault. They're shouting at me. I'm going to kind of flee for the hills. That's the best time. It's actually the best time to engage with a customer. And you have to look at that opportunity to turn that customer's rants into rates. And many of the best relationships I have right now with customers were the relationships that were born during a crisis. Okay. And over time, they're like, I'm so thankful that you came and helped me during this moment of crisis. You engaged. And for every day you were there with your team, I'm forever grateful. Right. Uh, because if you will get, I mean, every crisis, you get through it eventually. Now, some, you know, become really permanent black eyes and that you learn from them also. But those were two. Uh, and there's seven or eight others that I've shared about. But for your audience, maybe those are helpful. We, we, we focus on listening to our customers with things like, you know, our CSATs and we've got customer success teams. I think we, we do lead as, as a technology company, but fundamentally what's more important is how our customers are consuming, using technology and how we can ultimately help them. The mix of technology is getting complex for our customers. We are seeing so many more customers going towards this digital transformation step or digital shift where the mix is getting more difficult to maintain and, and certainly we're seeing a lot more opportunity in helping customers shape that as organizations move towards subscription and as a service models, um, being able to get the most out of those investments is going to be is critical for us and helping them on this journey, I guess, of transformation that a lot of these organizations are going through. And we're, we're, we're doing exactly that really, you know, and I think that's the same for a lot of our customers' customers is they're learning that listening is important, being able to adjust and re readdress what they do as a business and be challenged about what they do as a business to improve it is critical. And certainly I think there's lessons to be learned all the way through how, you know, people have been maneuvered to work from home as they have been as an example, you know, the shift and speed of which organizations have had to adopt these new ways of working shows that actually when push comes to shove, you can um, shift the way a lot of your organizations can work and function. And now we're seeing that a lot with our customers who are looking to transform the way their applications work and the way their platforms work and looking at new digital ideas to be able to implement. And certainly from our perspective, listening to all of that in different industries and trying to address some of those challenges. You know, we're seeing that work quite well for us and certainly fueling our support. And I would say our CSATs are quite high because we do exactly that. And, and yeah, I think investing in things like customer success teams are critical for us. And, and certainly we've seen that through this way of working, not being able to go into and meet our customers at the same way we did. Having that kind of capability to listen, take those ideas or move into innovation cycle with those ideas and deliver something of an outcome is something we're quite passionate about and actually is working quite well with our customers and it's that partnership that really works well so i think you know listening absolutely getting that continual feedback loop building that customer success piece is critical and certainly as i say i think going forward we're seeing that that works really well and we'll continue with that so if we look at some of the larger organizations in the world there seems to be a clear focus on improving diversity in the workforce, building their future business around sustainability, 
and having clear targets for positive change. What are your suggestions on how all organisations, irrespective of size and industry, can adopt this level of change and continue to drive it forward? So, so in my opinion, uh, sustainability overall, I think, is going to become a number one priority for many of the organisations we work with. And I think uh, over the next few years, it's going to be as important as how you may architect or build something from a technology standpoint. Everything's going to have some sort of sustainability thought process in what your decisions are. And this is not a case of saying you'll do something. This is a case of actually doing something and potentially changing the DNA of the way potentially businesses worked to meet what essentially will be targets. And, you know, large tech organizations, Microsoft, AWS, Google, VMware included, implementing plans to move towards, uh, you know, carbon um, negative footprints and, and, and publishing a series of steps to achieve that. I think almost making yourself self-accountable. And I think that will filter down to businesses. And, and certainly we as an organization are doing something similar where we're having to focus on what that looks like in the long term and in implementing those steps to be able to achieve that. So I think sustainability for me is, is probably one of our number one priorities. And I think we're seeing that. And actually there's legislation coming in, you know, in, in the UK, certainly, where if you're not meeting certain targets and reporting back those targets with evidence, there's penalties that are going to be coming. Uh, and certainly I think that will kind of drive that agenda forward in a positive way. And yeah, the, the diversity overall in all business, I think there's a re renewed focus and goes back to certain things that Sanjay was saying earlier. We have, I suppose, a responsibility as businesses to kind of drive positive change. And I think that comes down to just being able to drive acceptance. And, you know, we're all different as human beings, but we're the same. So overall, and it's a case of having a passion to achieve, to listen, to learn, and the ability to adapt. But I think it goes back to what Sanjay said earlier, building empathy and better understandings, understanding of differences is critical. And that's a language I don't, all those things are not things that business culture previously probably looked at. And I think now we're seeing those things are being ingrained in the business culture and it's not kind of driving in most cases profitability, but it's satisfaction, employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction, and ensuring there's inclusivity there as well. And I think that's critical to the thought process of business leaders, ensuring that starts at the top and that filters down. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that um, now coming into how we do and run businesses. And, and I think that will absolutely address some of the challenges that exist, although it won't fix what, what does exist today, because there is still challenges and a lot of challenges there. Yeah, I think what we have sought to do in this topic of uh, you know, sustainability, equity, governance, ESG, as uh, the world tends to call it, is, uh, you know, set up some near term and some longer term goals, because some of these things you can't change overnight. So we've been public about our 2030 goals. You can read it on the VMware website as to what we want to change. And I'll give you a few examples. I mean, if you want the tech industry to be an attractive place, uh, all of us men have mothers. We may not have daughters, but we have mothers. Okay. So you know, many, some of our mothers may have retired. But if you, if you have a daughter, you understand this. If you want this industry to be an attractive place for your daughter, or if you want it to be, if your mother's still working, an attractive place for your mother, uh, some things have to change because today there's only, most tech companies only have 25% of their companies are women. But yet women are 50, 51, in some countries, 55% of the society. Uh, my daughter would come and say, Sanjay, I don't want to work at, at VMware because there's not many people like me. So, I mean, it's not because we're trying to do something for just some statistic. We're trying to do this to make our tech companies a lot more like society, and it's just good for business. So when you fundamentally realize that and it strikes home to you, you're like, 
this thing looks like a very kind of monolithic, um, you know, environment. We've got to uh, diversify our ideas are all good. And that's just one aspect of diversity, which is gender diversity. Same thing relates to ethnic and other forms of, of, of diversity. And you have to then be able to create role models within the company that people say at all levels of the company, at the first entry level to managers, to senior leaders, uh, we have said in one of the ESG metrics that we're going to have 50% of our managers be women, as an example. Another example, the United States are underrepresented minorities. Uh, African-Americans are about 10 or 11% in society, and most tech companies are 2 or 3%. Latinos in uh, much of the United States are 20% by 2 or 3%. Again, if you are living in society and you have friends in the African-American community or uh, Latinos, and they want to come and work at your company, they say, well, I don't really feel welcome because there's only one other person I see. That's not the company I want to work for. So you have to change that and you have to role model that, change it. And it's not because you're biased against another community. You're trying to make your company reflective of society. Now, some of these things require deep changes all the way and, and influences all the way back to high school and college. When I went back, I came to this country, the United States, as an immigrant with 50 bucks in my pocket and a scholarship to this college called Dartmouth College in the East Coast where I studied computer science. And I think for one of my reunions, I don't know, 20 or 25, I went back uh, and I was talking to the computer science department. A lot of the professors had changed. But the head of the department said the number of women and the number of minorities has declined year over year in terms of people in computer science. That's alarming. So we've got to get more women studying electrical engineering and computer science interested in STEM uh, early on or else we won't fix this at the root. I mean, you can't fix it. By the time you get and you're looking for engineers coming into the workplace, if there aren't enough of them going to colleges are interested in, we got to make it attractive for our children. So these are some systemic things that all of society needs to work on. And I would just encourage men to kind of walk in the shoes because most of us in the tech society are typically men. Walk in the shoes of somebody else, create proximity to the other uh, you know, communities that are not as well represented. And then you'll get a sense as to why some things have to change whether it's women, whether it's other minority groups. And if you don't have it, you'll always think of yourself just in that monolithic camp. And for me, it's been most important when you kind of understand what it's like to walk in that person's shoes, walk in proximity. Brian Stevenson's a great person. Who, uh, his, his book and his, his character is a subject of a movie called Just Mercy, which I encourage people to watch. Uh, but he talks about this notion of proximity. And when you walk in proximity with that community, you get to understand what needs to change. And that's what we all need to do. And that, again, comes back to what we talked earlier in your show, which is empathy. Nice. Okay, final question. Technology has opened up so many new avenues with what appears to be an acceleration of digital agendas and channels. But where do you, Sanjay, see technology developing over the next five years? I'm deeply excited about it. I'm a technologist at heart. Like I said, I came to this country to study computer science and software, and I felt like the software economy, if you work hard, anything is possible. Um, you know, every industry is becoming a software company at its core. You know, I think technology, and especially aspects of technology like cloud and mobile devices and big data and AI are revolutionizing things. And I remain very much hopeful that technology can be used for the betterment of society. There's lots of evils, and it's just like a matchstick that could light a fire to to uh, keep us warm or burn down a house. Does that mean fire is bad? No, this is an age-old debate. I think you have to harness technology to its best. Just think about the ability for us to be doing this remote communication, video, all of that stuff. It's been possible because of the internet and 
very fast video communication. The last time the world had a major crisis was 2008. And I remember sitting inside a small room. I was at SAP and we had these very expensive and they generated a lot of heat equipment called telepresence. And only 10 or 15 people could sit in that room uh, and everybody else had to be on phone calls. And when I first saw Zoom, I know the founder and CEO very well, he's a personal friend. I told Eric, Eric, this software feels like telepresence on my phone. How'd you do it? It's incredible. This was like 10 years ago, well before the pandemic. And of course, Zoom is now a, not just a household name, it's a verb. People use it to Zoom. So I think that that's amazing to me that that technology got born in the last five and it was, it's for this time. And I could go on and on about many others, but I'm personally very excited. We as leaders have to find ways by which, just like that matchstick, we harness the power of technology for good. Okay, when we are a force for good, and we downplay and 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 you know kind of change the parts that are are evil about technology, I think it can be a tremendous force for change. So I just have to agree with Sanjay. Um, and my only add it would be that the acceleration of the last twelve months, it will just continue to gather pace over the next uh, year and two years and five years. Uh, and all types of industries we're talking to have a narrow focus on digital transformation and that digital shift that we're seeing. Um, solutions will continue to become more complex and certainly we're there to help organizations try and simplify that. Um, everything's becoming connected. The uh, revolution around 5G and the edge um, evolving as it's as it's quickly doing and, and the technology innovation in that space is going to be incredible. Um, data will continue to explode um, but with that will come challenges such as security, data ethics and data management, compliance, all of those areas. Um, we're seeing sustainability, as I mentioned earlier, becoming really key to decision makers um, on how they procure and source um, IT and, and, and how they work with organizations and partners like us and vendors like VMware as an example and others that are out there. Um, and also all of this will uh, be combined with the upskilling of resource and the retraining and education of technical skills uh, in, our, in our industry, but also in all industries to take, uh, the ability, to take the opportunity that all companies are turning into technology companies. Um, and ultimately, the digital acceleration will just continue. Um, and with it will be a whole range of new innovation that goes with that. So I'm excited about being a technologist. I'm excited to be in this industry and, and certainly proud to be in a company that is representing our companies in that way. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating time. And the next five years um, will be incredible. Um, and uh, if we look back five years ago, I don't think we could have ever imagined what would have happened over the last 12 months. So um, difficult to have a crystal ball, but I think um, you know we will see a lot more of that acceleration as I mentioned. And that is it for today's episode. Sanjay, Dean, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great hearing your thoughts on everything we've discussed. And thank you for listening. If you want to know more about anything that was covered in this episode or want to get in contact with us, feel free to email us at podcast at softcat.com.